are, Todd. Interview number five yeah. with Wing Lam, co-founder of Wahoo's Fish Taco. So uh, I'm hungry just saying that name. I am too. I think. <laughs> what are we doing for dinner right after this, right? right? Probably Wahoo's. We're going to Wahoo's. Yeah, absolutely. Got a text early. What are you doing for mm-hmm. dinner? I'm bringing home Wahoo's. There we go. Yeah. Now, Wing is just one of those guys. I met him probably a dozen years or so ago uh, through a mutual friend. And he told me, hey, when you meet this guy, you're going to know his personality in about 30 seconds just mm-hmm. by looking at him in a brief conversation. As you met him, what was your takeaway and your first first impression of Wing? I mean, that that's kind of exactly what I sensed from him is he just as a cool laid back dude he came back in his board shorts and his flip-flops and just was like very very real very yeah. i think we talked about authenticity like absolutely he just comes in and and it was fantastic i think the thing that i really took away from it was the way that he found that there was an audience that needed to be served the way what the way they started wahoos and that the way that it it seemed so brilliant yet it was very organic and just kind of obvious to him the way that it worked out so great story and like most good entrepreneurs they found a niche that wasn't being met or they found it just a fine way of tweaking it a little bit Mm -hmm. so that you really if you walk into any wahoos now oh yeah you know where you're at you know where you are you recognize the personality of the founders Mm -hmm. of the organization a great story about how they got into the industry through their parents really yeah wing and his brothers were working in the back of the kitchen and doing their between homework and surfing and everything else lots of fun stuff so we're excited to get into our interview today with the founder or co-founder of Wahoo's Fish Taco, Wing Lam. I'm Wing Lam with Wahoo's Fish Taco, and you're watching From the Heart with Ed Hart. All right, so today sitting with us in From the Heart, I have my good friend, the founder, co-founder of Wahoo's Fish Tacos, where I just had lunch on Sunday. Thank you. Uh, Wing Lam, Wing, so, so nice to have you. What a pleasure to have you here with us today. If you'd like, just tell us a little bit about who Wing Lamb is for the <laughs> handful of people who might be watching that don't know that yet. If you haven't figured it out, there's only a few of us long hair <laughs> Asian guys in Orange County. So <laughs> I, I always have to correct a bunch of people. I am not from the big island of Hawaii. I'm actually from a gigantic island of Brazil. And That's I right. joke about the fact that my parents forgot to get off the boat in Hawaii and they kept, <laughs> going, kept going all the way to South America. <laughs> nice. Thankfully they yeah. did, right? Absolutely. Yep. What do you remember about, I know you moved here pretty young, but what do you remember about your upbringing in Brazil? And I'm assuming yeah. you've been back a lot. Uh, actually, the funny part is I don't go back as often as my parents and my brothers do because I don't have time. You know, we, we don't have a little business to run up here. Yeah. But the funnest thing is basically, you know, of all the things that I love, which I can't do in America, but I every now and again when I travel, travel to like Hawaii or, you know, Central America or other places is climbing up fruit trees. Interesting. Because you'd be amazed that people here just assume everything is grown in a supermarket, which is not true, (laughs) right? There are actually Mm -hmm. mango trees. There are like, you know, basically things that grow on the ground, like watermelon and the melons. So there are things that either grow on the ground or grow on a tree or on a vine. Mm -hmm. So I'm used to literally as a kid, you know, after, you know, school, whatever, just literally walking down the rows. And literally, it, I think about it now, how can a kid, you know, 12 years old, eat like 20 or 30 mangoes at a time? You got to go pick them. You're not getting them in the grocery <laughs> exactly. store. You're going to pick them for yourself. Yeah. So I, I'm used to the varieties and it's fun. Like, you know, guavas, I mean, you name a f- tropical fruit, yeah. pretty much w- that's what I grew up eating. So, so those are the things that you miss. So every time I meet somebody from a tropical country, I ask them about the fruit and the plantations and whatnot. And if there's one nearby that I can actually go just to go yeah. pick them. Yeah, they have that story of bananas or pineapples or whatever it might have been. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I was in Ecuador and Guatemala, bananas and pineapples literally everywhere. Exactly. We were picking them off the tree. Yep. So, so is that really kind of what 
I, I know healthy living yeah. and healthy eating is yep. what Wahoo's brand is all about. And I'm jumping into the Wahoo story sure. sooner than I thought I would, but I, <laughs> it, it, we're going to talk about a lot of things today, hopefully. Yeah. And I know that that's a very health conscious, vegetarian, vegan, healthy. It's not yeah. your typical Mexican food mm, like yeah. some places. Tell us about kind of the origins of that and where that really came about and that concept. So the idea was after college, you know, uh, one of the things that I went to, I went to San Diego State, another Cal State yeah. University. And one of the things that you do when you're down that close to Mexico, Tijuana, is you tend to go across the border for, you know, great food, a little bit of surf and whatnot. And my kid brothers, we used to do it in high school. So by the time I was in college, it made it even easier because they only had to come, you know, basically down Just, to the border right. and then we go the rest of the way. So my brothers and I, Ed, I mean, we spent a lot of time, you know, having fun, you yeah. know, while I was going to college. And after, you know, graduating from college, I did what anybody else would do, get a corporate job. I did hmm. all that. I worked for Rockwell International yeah. on the space shuttle program and, you know, had a couple of really great jobs. But corporate America, just wasn't the right, you know, fit for me, I don't think. Right? I, I can't imagine why. You look so corporate, yeah. <laughs> but back then, I had yeah. the short hair. I did, yeah. believe it or not, wore the wingtips and all that. <laughs> but it just wasn't fun. Yeah. I mean, it was a great job, but it wasn't fun. And my younger brother, Ed, was getting ready to get out of college around that time. And we were talking about, hey, maybe there's something else we could do. And my parents, I mean, everything in life is about timing. Right. My parents were getting ready to retire. And we sat around and said, hey, you know, what are the options, right? My oldest brother was running a very successful law practice. So we talked about maybe we can all join in, right? Because mm. we're all pretty good at it in sure. school. And we talked about that. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to trade in one suit for another suit. Yeah. And I thought maybe, you know, there was something else. And we noticed that a lot of the kids that we grew up with were now working in the action sports industry, specifically surfing. Okay, so right. Costa Mesa was the hub for North America, for companies like Quicksilver, Billabong, O'Neill, they were, Gotcha, they were all like right there. Gotcha was actually in Irvine, but the major brands are right there. Yeah. And we thought, what's the one thing missing? And it was kind of the same thing we're looking at. It was, it was the food, right? Awesome. A, a gathering place. You had them doing everything else, but you know, how do you feed them yeah. at the end of the surf So, session? you know, people would surf, but then they would talk about, well, you know, there's pizza, there's burgers, but where's the fish tacos? Nice. So my brothers and I thought, hmm, we kind of miss it too. And yeah. in the only way to get, get into the action sports industry is to have been a former top amateur, former pro, or best friends with one of them, right? Sure. That's the only way in. It's a yeah. very tight, clickish community because it is. They want to keep it to themselves because, you know, the only way you can talk about surf, you can actually surf if the you pipeline, surf. right? Yeah. So th you got to have street credentials, we call it, right? right. So we thought, okay, we're, we're good surfers, but... We were, not, we were never that good, right? And we were friends with a lot of them. So we thought, okay, maybe we can open a themed restaurant. Because remember back then, it was the Hard Rock Cafe right. in Hollywood. So maybe we thought, hey, maybe we can do something around the fish taco. Maybe make it, you know, surfer friendly. Because the first people that actually knew about fish tacos were surfers anyway. Right. So that's how my brother Ed and I. Mexico yeah. and Ensenada yeah. and so and forth. Ensenada. Yeah. So my brothers and I said, okay, let's do this. So Ed and I said, let's, let's design the menu. And my kid brother Mingo was still in school. So mm -hmm. we said, okay, you can hang out in the back for now. So Ed and I set out. We found a great location in Costa Mesa, the original yeah. store. And let's give it a try. And again, it was one of those where 
you know, we're kind of Asian, Brazilian, we're not really Mexican, so <laughs> yeah. let's maybe bring some other dishes. So that's where the teriyaki beef, some of the other things kind of sure. came in handy because we wanted to be, you know, have something that we can kind of wave our flag at that goes, hey, there's the Asian component to the menu. Yeah. But the rest of it was basically mostly Mexican inspired. Maybe something familiar that people yeah. knew of, but maybe a different take on it. A different take. And then we also brought in what we call the staple of our upbringing, the Brazilian food, which is rice beans yeah so that's why we didn't set out to do refried beans or orange looking rice sure. so our rice is white our beans are black because mm -hmm. that's the staple of brazil that's brazil so we were kind of one of the first fusion you know asian restaurants around right. and then the other thing we kind of didn't want to do was we didn't want people to wait because when you go to a taco stand in mexico on the roadside you just order and you, you sit walk down up, you order you yeah. sit and you eat so we basically brought that little you know, taco shack indoors yeah. and made it really casual. So we were one of the first quick casual restaurants in Orange County because prior to that, there weren't that many restaurants that you could order and sit down right. and they bring you the food. So it was either order, get your food and sit down or have a waiter. Or go so we kind of came in the middle. So we didn't know we were doing all this, but we <laughs> said, hey, let's just be different right. because obviously we're not, you know, Hispanic descendants. We're Chinese, but <laughs> Brazilians. Yeah. So that's kind of how the whole thing got started. Who were some of the early influencers for you in getting in? I know your parents have started. They're obviously yeah. tremendous influencers. Talk about them a little bit. And then I'll go to the na oh, that yeah. other question of sure. maybe others. You talked about people <laughs> in, the, in the surf industry or what have you. It may have yeah. been an influencer or an impact on that as well. So for my parents upbringing, which is kind of funny, my, my dad has had restaurants, a little, I call it a Chinese food truck. You know, a little, you know, like instead of a hot dog cart, but a okay. Chinese one oh, wow. where you had a walk at the end and you cooked. So he started with that in Hong Kong, went into Japan, ran a couple of full service restaurants in Japan, then immigrated to South America, to Brazil, where he opened one of the first Chinese restaurants in Sao Paulo. Mm -hmm. And then after we kind of got going, he ended up here in America. Thank God, of all places, Southern California is not yeah. too shabby. Yeah. And even better, Newport Beach. There you go. So he opened a Shanghai Pine Garden back in the early 70s. And to our surprise, it was kind of like doing okay. Because again, remember, very affluent neighborhood. Right. And most of the people were used to going to Chinatown for Chinese food. So here you have a Chinese restaurant on Balboa Island. Yeah, Not Beach, exactly. Yeah. So a kind of a fish out of the water. And luckily for us, I always joke about the one moment in time that changes your life. Yeah. Having a celebrity show up and literally having John Wayne stop by, have dinner. That's going to put a, you on the map changed the history of my our family wow. because from the day before john wayne was there you could actually walk in anytime a few months after john wayne was there you could wait 30 minutes to get a table so that's when my dad said hey it's time for you guys to come up because i could use the free labor as hey, john kids. wayne shows up again i need some people <laughs> up here to help me out yeah yeah so we moved here in 1975 mm -hmm. and i remember literally being in america for less than two weeks uh, being 14 years old and working at my dad's restaurant as a busboy and having somebody ask me for a fork and i looked like oh, i have no idea what fork is wow. so i run into the kitchen and go hey the waiter hey the guy asked for a fork and he goes well this is what a fork is am i great because i didn't speak any english right exactly. but then again i didn't need to speak english working yeah. in the chinese restaurant because yeah. i could talk to the staff in you know chinese and basically i would learn english i call it kitchen english as i went sure 
But it was always petrifying when they would ask me for something. And I'm like, I have no idea what, what he he's saying? asking. Yeah. I got to remember what he said. Try to say it back in the kitchen. That's what he got once. And he goes, he wants a spoon, right? a napkin. I'm like, great. I know yeah. what that is. So did you know your 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 busing tables? You're working as uh, in the restaurant in the early '70s. Did you know that's? I mean, obviously we graduated from San Diego State and went the other route. But was it in the back of your mind? This is something I'd like to do. No, it was never in. Uh, my most people parents, are told don't go into the restaurant industry. Yes. Yeah. So my parents made sure that all five of the kids went to college. Uh, so the first oldest brother is an attorney. Uh, he has since you know passed away. But then I have an older brother who's a doctor. And then the three of us are in the business, me, Ed, and Mingo. But all three of us graduated from college. All five of us did. But after a while, I realized that, you know, one of the things that they teach out in the business world is do something you love and it won't feel like it's work. And I thought, okay, you know, so again, going back to the That means I can still surf. I can still surf. So when Ed and I were talking about this, what is something that we can do better than everybody in our group? We realized because we grew up in the restaurant by our second nature is to be very hospitable. And one of the biggest things that nobody teaches you, it's not being a great cook that makes a great restaurateur, is actually understanding how to be hospitable. Basically anticipating people's need. So there's a difference when you go to somebody's house. Every time you're thinking of something, the host goes, oh, let me get you another glass of wine. And you never have to get up. Yeah. That's a great host. You're in the and people business, then you happen to serve food. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the difference. Where in, in any business, you're in insurance attorney, if you can anticipate the people's needs and wants, it's not a job. Because yeah. you're always there and they're like, how did you know? And yeah. that's the, the, really the key to success in any business. So you know that I spend most of my time working with family businesses. Yes. What would be some of the challenges? We'll go, we'll go the, yeah. the good and the bad. We'll start with the bad and end on the good. <laughs> Uh, some of the challenges in working with your brothers, not only in the startup phase of Wahoos, but now even that you've been doing this for 30 plus years. Well, some of the challenges is because we are brothers, you tend to know each other's buttons with strengths <laughs> and weaknesses. So you try to push those buttons when you want to get something done. So we try to like say, hey, leave the family outside and let's run the business. Okay. And then leave the business now when we're on home in the weekends. So we separate the two. We still all hang out. We all surf together still after all these years. So you're the surfing, years. you're not talking about fish talking. No, we're not. We're talking about life and fun because at the end of the day, it is competitive. But the one thing that we've all learned, I think at least from looking at some of our other friends, is you can't let somebody not carry their own weight. That's really the key. Because the moment that happens, it, it really kind of infects the whole business. Sure. All of a sudden, the employees, the manager, everybody's like, hey, the boss is not doing it. Why should I? Right. right? So you really, you know, say from the top down, you know, and you, you have to do that. So between ourselves, we can argue all we want, but we got to get the job done. Sure. So we're the first ones to be there. We're the last ones to leave. We just got to make sure it gets done. Tell us a little bit about the roles that you and your two brothers each have within the company. Because... I know you're the CEO, <laughs> but every time I'm in an event in Huntington Beach or something, I see you there. I see yeah. your branded vehicle. Yeah. You're the only CEO I know who's out there probably <laughs> surfing and talking about the business. And really just you're, you're the man in the, among the yeah. people is what I see. So a little well, bit about what Ed and Mingo and you each do. Part of the deal for, for me was because I was there early on, I couldn't wait for customers to come in. 
So I immediately you go get them. I went to go get them. Awesome. Really? Like literally go go fishing, yeah. right? So I automatically kind of accidentally fell into event marketing, PR and all that because I was always chasing people. I would go to the trade shows, I go to the surf contests, I go to the concerts. And half the time when you have these startup bands, it, like who wants to go see another garage band? Right. Especially nobody's ever heard of them. Well, today you got these amazing world touring bands right. but back when i met them they were garage you know basically who knew them right yeah. so we got a lot of these really well known so it wasn't that difficult back then to say hey who's wants to go on a friday night to go you know serve Dude. tacos to a bunch of unknowns yeah. or who wants to hang out with this surfer that's 10 years old so fast forward now everybody goes oh my god you you've known this professional surfer kelly slater or whoever yeah. for 20 30 years he goes yeah but when I met him, he was just a kid. He's a little Kelly, yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of that, you know, truth, but I did it because it was a necessity. Right. And when, again, remember the thing is you got to love something so it doesn't become work. Right. So I learned to basically love spending a lot of time with a lot of unknowns, yeah. and they didn't know me any better. So yeah. I, was in the, I was the unknown taco guy. They're the unknown skater or surfer. Or, so it became the X Games, the U.S. Open today. Sure. So now it's as glamorous. It's all that. Right. And people are like, well, you're just going down there because it's fun. I'm like, no. You were doing this way before this was anything. Yeah, I was here when there was only one 10 by 10 tent on the beach. Yeah. Right. So people see it now. They're like, oh, and you know, everybody. Go, well, they know me. We know each other because we all grew up together in this thing. So I gravitated to that because I needed customers. That was yeah. a necessity. It wasn't that I needed to be in front of anybody right. or in the spotlight. I was just supporting the event. That's what we did. We made events better. Yeah. Ed, on the other hand, really, you know, focus on the construction. He was better at that. So all the new sites, all the construction, the repairs, that's what he naturally gravitated to. And then eventually he said, well, I need help at these events. So he and I would team up and do the trade shows and do all that because having more bodies makes everything better. Sure. So he kind of splits time doing a little bit of both. And then my kid brother goes, well, somebody's got to keep an eye on the house while you guys are out there gallivanting. So <laughs> yeah, today exactly. it's gallivanting. Then it was like, yeah. hey, slapping tacos, right? Yeah. So he's there doing you know, the accounting, payroll, all the, I call the back of the, the house functions of the house, exactly. to make sure that we're getting paid, we're actually profitable, and we can pay everybody to make sure it happens. So you understand your roles. And I think that's yeah. critical in a family business that you have very clear cut roles and, and defined responsibilities. Yeah. And that's what makes it work. Yeah. What's the best thing about being wing lamb? It's a, you know, every now and then again, you get, you know, I, I call it these perks, right? Yeah. And I, trust me, I never go out and go, Hey, do you know who I am? That's the last thing you ever hear from my mouth. Right. But it's nice that people recognize you and it goes, Hey, by the way, let me get you a table. Right. And I'm like, great. You know, and <laughs> I feel guilty because somebody else didn't get a table, but I'm like, Hey, <laughs> but she's not going to do it. Yeah. But I yeah. didn't ask for it. Right. right but it's right. nice. So it's, and the really fun part about being able to, to get these little perks is the fact that I can make a difference because using my network of friends, we can come into any event, any charity, and we can look at it and goes, if we only did this, we can make it that much better. Yeah. So we bring in our resources. So that was my whole goal from 30 years ago. How do we take this little 10-year-old surf contest with a bunch of kids that nobody knows? How do we make it more fun for them? Because they're out here, you know, working their, you know, behinds off sure. to, you know, try to get somewhere. If we can bring the food, we can bring the fun stuff, right? The swag will make it better for the kids. Because otherwise they're known as the leftover because the real kids are playing football, basketball, and volleyball. So that's yeah. what we did. And now these days, I mean, when we have concerts, whatever, just 
bring people together, we have some fun yeah. and get some really, and, and whenever we can involve a charity, it's just so much more gratifying. So how do you choose, that's a perfect segue into the next question. How do you choose where you put your time, what charities? Because I know that, you know, I look on your walls and I see the Little League sponsorships yeah. that you do and the yeah. kids and the pictures. I was yeah. just there a few days ago and and to, you can't say yes to everyone. We can. Where well, do we, you say yes and why? We say yes to the people that we like. It, it's just one of those because it's like if it's no fun being at a charity event, it becomes work. Yeah. So the people that appreciate what we do, we love working with them. So whether it's the Alzheimer's Association or it's the cancer, it doesn't really matter. Cystic fibrosis, it's the people. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, we're going to use our resources to make people's lives better. So we just want to be appreciated for doing all the hard work. I know he had a great guest here earlier today, sure. Charles. Yeah. He and I, we team up. We do some amazing, fun stuff together. I was going to ask and, about your relationship yeah. with Charles. It seems like you fun. guys have really clicked for yeah. a long time. Because it's been great. We've, we've only known each other for a few years. But in that short amount of time, we said, how do we maximize our resources and do more? Yeah. And so instead of the old synergy, one and one, it's two. Now we've got three, four. Yeah. So we have a great event coming up, and that's what we do. Awesome. Who are some of the other, other than your family, and you can go there if yeah. you'd like, <clears throat> excuse me, when you think of some of your earliest mentors, maybe in the industry or mm -hmm. in business or education or in America, whatever, yeah. wherever you go with this, some of the mentors that you've had in your life. The interesting part is, like, so if I go from high school, uh, my water polo coaches, Cutler and Carpenter, were amazing because, you know, in an age where they, you know, so much political, I call it, right? Because you get playing time based on your parents' ability to donate to the program sure. or involvement with that. I'm just thankful that I was in a time when maybe that wasn't as much of right. an issue as it Seems is, like today. It is today. So luckily was I got to play based on my talent. So I'm very grateful for the fact that they were fair, right? So that gave me a sense of you should reward people for their hard work, not because of some ulterior motive, right? And I think there's too many agendas these days in life in general that I'm only doing this because I can get that, right? Mm -hmm. So this was strictly performance. So I think we try to, you know, take care of our employees the same way. We want to base it on performance. We don't care if you're black, Asian, Mexican, we don't care. Right? Can you do the job and you're the best at it and you should be rewarded for it. So I think that's one of the, you know, the tough lessons and great lessons we learned early on. And in college, I mean, I love the fact that I've gotten to teach at universities recently right. and the hardest class I ever took from Dr. Castaldi at the time was management 405, which is a case study class, which means bring all the stuff you learned in your four years and see if you can do it. Right. And so it was also the only A I ever got in the business school. <laughs> nice. It was the hardest class I ever took. And I love teaching that. I've taught it at Chapman University, Pepperdine, yeah. and Concordia Universities. So that it was another great, you know, uh, basically person that influenced me early on. And then from the surf industry, oh, my God, right, it go on and on. Man. But the main two guys that early on set the bar the head of sales for Billabong was Mike Lesher, who basically always said yes to any crazy ideas we came up with. Nice. And at the time, having the number two brand in the world back you up. That's pretty big. It really helped. Yeah. And then the head of marketing for Quicksilver was Danny Kwok, otherwise okay. known as DK. And he was another big help. He was, you know, always when we had crazy ideas, he was like, yeah, sure. So those two, having basically what I call the number one and number two brands in the world, basically help you get started. Yeah. So that, having those two guys really helped. And then a couple of years <clears> later, <throat> had the pleasure, you know, back in the early 90s of 
becoming really good friends with the founder of one of the founders of NSSA, which is a National Surfing Scholastic Association, okay. uh, Chuck Allen. So Chuck started a USASA for snowboarding. And he basically joked about, hey, you want to come and snowboard? <laughs> I had no idea how much work I was going to be involved. Surfing on snow, yeah. right? That's what you're thinking. Yeah. Right? yeah, and so this is in the early 90s. So I've served as a past president of the association, uh, chairman. I mean, I've served numerous positions, you know, mm -hmm. but it's been a lot of fun. So the surf, skate, and snow have been really the cornerstone of our business. So having these, I call it pioneers, help us out. And both Chuck has passed away. Another great friend was Bruce Brown from the Endless Summer. He passed away a couple of years ago. So having these iconic guys, and the funny part is, it was always about breaking bread with these guys. Nice. Because we would sit around, make food, and we would, you know, talk and reminisce about the old stories. And these are guys that basically were all behind the scenes making things happen. So we were the, basically the support system to the whole action sports industry. That's excellent. So you talked a little bit about, you, we've talked about your mentors. When a yeah. young man or young woman comes to you and, I don't know, people walk yeah. up and say, will you mentor me? But, I mean, you obviously mentor people. I know yes, that I you do. teach, yeah. and I've, I've run into several of your yeah. students over the years. What do you look for when you're looking to mentor a young person? The ability for them to actually want to do something and not looking for what I call an easy way out. And you can usually spot it because you can give them, I guess, clues of what it's about to happen, right? And give them guidelines and just make sure that, yes, you know, follow your path, follow your dreams, but here are some of the things to look out for. And most of the students that I mentor over the years that pay attention, I call it, they actually have done fairly well. And I've stayed in touch with most of them, and it doesn't matter. I got, you know, foreign students, and they crack up. Yeah. that I'm willing to take the call and I'll talk to them and, and just kind of check up with them from time to time and see where they are. Excellent. You're still teaching? You still I'm taking a little sabbatical <coughs> right now since I have my little four-year-old. And uh, yeah. so as soon as he's more, I think, full-time, yeah. I like to go back and teach. Yeah. Talk about how your faith has played a part in your business world. It's one of those where you have to believe, right? Because yeah. things don't just happen. I mean, yes, you have to prepare and all that stuff, but there's things in life that if I wish I could say I was here and it happened. So faith is that because it kind of gives you an explanation for what we can't really understand. Right? It's true. So it's a big part. I mean, you know, we do a lot with the Catholic Church. We do a lot with the Christian. So we really don't pay. I mean, we're not exclusive because we have so many friends that are Jewish. You know, my parents, yeah. are, you know, Buddhists. So we try to say, hey, whatever the faith is that moves you, yeah. You know, keeps you center. Let us help you do an event with it. So we try not to say, hey, this is better than the other. They're all different. And I'm pretty sure, depending on which way you look at God, he's a different shade of the same person. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So winding back the clock 30 sure. years and, and the inspiration for Wahoos and doing what you're doing now didn't come. Have you ever thought about what you might be doing? I know you started out in corporate America with the wingtips, <laughs> so, so to speak. Have you thought back at all of like, wow, sure, I'm blessed or lucky that I am where I am, or if not, maybe I would have been doing I would have been else. probably in aerospace still, yeah. after all, because that's what I left. And one of the things that I do look back is that I was, I'm, I'm a, of all the things that I do in life, I'm a marketing guy, but I'm a, I have a finance degree. Oh, wow. So that's I'm a right. pretty good numbers guy, and uh, but it's all about taking something and making more of it. Right? Yeah. And so finance gives you the creativity to do that. But it turns out that you can't make any business marketing decisions without knowing what the financial implications are. That's true. 
So instead of just coming up with great ideas, great you got to know what the yeah, impact. We got to fund this. You got to fund it, and you know, got the up and what the down is. So I probably would still be in aerospace somewhere, <laughs> but luckily for me, I, my calling came, and uh, here I am making tacos. What's your favorite item on the menu? You know, it's funny. If I could just eat white rice and black beans every day, I'd be so happy. <laughs> nice. Nice. That's good. Yeah. I think I've tried everything at Wahoo's, yeah. and I, for me to say that I have a favorite wouldn't be yeah. fair to the others because I like them all. <laughs> but uh, I do kind of go to the citrus hot tacos. Oh, I like yes. those. That's, that's good Amazing. Stuff. Yeah. What's your legacy? What do you hope that uh, with Levi, your young son, and with your your younger folks that yeah. work for you and, and so forth, what are you hoping that the legacy will be left behind for Wing Lamb at some point? At some point, it'd be nice to for them to realize, you know, what we set out to do. We could have cut a lot of corners in 30 years to make the food less expensive and a lot of different things and, you know, uh, cheapen the product and all that. It's just we stood for quality, you know, and the fact that we not only try to do something right, but we also want to impact the community that we're around. So that to me is like whether it's the education, the charities, whatnot. It's just that we want to be known that, hey, he wasn't about getting a bigger car, making a bigger house or whatever, right? It's about giving back to the community yeah. we're in and making sure that everybody gets there at the same time. Any, any individuals or stories come to mind when you think about um, the greatest leaders that you've witnessed in your life? Obviously, you're leaders in your community, and we see what the influence of your organization yeah. is in the communities where you're located but individuals at all that maybe have had that influence on you, whether it's a political figure or a public figure or a private individual citizen that has inspired you. You know, what's amazing is when I look at what I thought the model for us would have been, right? Because at the time when we started Wahoos, he might've been in business, I think 30 or 40 years was the crab cooker, right? Okay. Yeah. Here's a guy that never did anything on the menu that wasn't fish based. Right, no chicken, no steak. Where all the other restaurants would serve steak and chicken. Yeah. He said, I'm only doing fish, right? And when I actually got a chance to sit down with him about 15 years ago, whatever, all the waitresses kept coming by to go, why is the owner of our restaurant talking to the fish guy? Because <laughs> <laughs> they were like, is he selling? Is he right, buying? He's a competitor. But the fact sort. is, yeah, that we just stand there, like they had this three hour lunch and just talked about the quality of food. Right. And, and the people, the fact that most of the waitresses that worked at Crab Cooker have worked there forever. Yeah. So I'm like, and it was family. So that to me kind of like, you know what, that's, I want to be able to do that. So when you talk to some of the people that work for us today, you might be surprised that the mom has worked for me for 20 years. Yeah. Right. The brother might have worked. So that to me is I create that sense of family and that, that's kind of fun. Right. Because yeah. people look at me and go, wow, that is crazy that somebody's been working for you for that long. I was, yeah, you know, and I still like to be able to do the Hispanic quinceanera for one of my original cooks, right? And yeah. even though he doesn't work for us anymore, I'm going to say, hey, let me help you out a little family's bit. Family's right? still family. It's right? still family because you did your part way back 31 years ago. Nice. Yeah, I think the turnover in your industry is close to 100%. Oh, 100%, yeah. And I go, you know, the, the one we go to, it's the same people we've been yeah. seeing there for years. So you treat them like family. Is there anything else that you would attribute with the culture? How would you describe the culture within the organization that, that could be applicable to any organization? 
the fact is that, you know, as business expand, you know, the ownership gets, I call it, diluted because it, the boss is way up here, right? Mm -hmm. So the problem is the consumers and the clients are working down here, right? So the idea that for us instilled the sense of Mikasa is Sukasa. Mm -hmm. So every store that is to the employees there, that is your home away from home. Right. So treat the guest, the customer, as though they're family. And you'd be amazed the relationship and the community you can create. So that's why people have their favorite locations because actually people know your name. They know your order, right. right? And it's hard to have that in our day and age where everything's moving so fast, right? So that's one of the things we pride ourselves in is having that sense of even though we may have 10, 20, 100 stores, that that's your store. Yeah. Right. So if we can instill that value in them and say, hey, this is what your, you know, your deal. Right. Even though I'm in the corporate office, this is your store. Yeah. Yeah. When I go into stores, I ask everybody there seems to know you. Yeah. So obviously you, you frequent the stores. What's your what's your policy or what's your plan or how often do you go into? I try to visit as many stores as I can as often. Again, I, I make the rounds. Right. Mm -hmm. And one of the things is throughout the year when there's special gifts that we do, like we'll do a special edition shirt, things like that. I personally go to the stores and I deliver them. Trust me, it's a long couple of days because you can't do it in one day. Sure. It, it takes me almost a week to go visit all the Southern California stores. But I make a point to always bring gifts. You know, and it could be a hat, it could be a T-shirt, sure. it could be a box of donuts, right? Yeah. But I always make sure that I, I let them know that I appreciate what they do. And same when I go to Hawaii, when I go to Philadelphia, I always come with gifts. Because awesome. I know that, you know, as an employee, they may not feel appreciated. Right. And I'm letting them know that I appreciate it. Especially at the distance, who they don't see you as frequently as maybe they do here. Yeah. Are there leaders or authors or, or others out there that you've read, books that you've read, or people that, that <laughs> you kind of look at? <laughs> you laugh. Yeah. You're the, not sitting there just, you're either surfing or running yeah. the business, right? So, the, the, the one guy yeah. that kind of cracks me up because he's one of the few authors that I'm friends with is Tony from Zappos. Oh, yeah. No, he Tony. does an amazing job. Again, culture. Yeah. He has the same, you know, culture that we have. It's about taking care of your employees yeah. and all that. They have a very, very low turnover rate. But again, it's, it's about investing in your people. They are your first customers, right? right? So when you invest in your people, they take care of your customers, yeah, which exactly. is amazing. I don't know why more people don't think like that. It seems so, so easy, right? Yeah, don't yell at them. I mean, don't do yeah. anything. Don't belittle them. Don't do anything that you wouldn't want done to you, yeah. right? So I learned that early on. So I have stacks of amazing books, people that I've met. and <laughs> People I, deliver books to you Yeah, and I'm like, I, love, I, I glance at them. I just don't have those, you know, days where I can just sit there and like leisurely read because yeah. I do miss reading a great novel. Right? Sure. So Robert Ludlum, all the old, you know, uh, yep. born identities. I love reading all those. But now I go, you know, I don't have to 10 hours to read. I got to just right. watch the two hour movie. Yeah, watch the movie. Which is not the same and, yeah. because in your head you can visualize a lot of things that are not in the book, but you can make up things, right? So I miss that part of reading books where you can actually think about what the author is trying to do, what accomplish, instead of just seeing the visual in a movie. It's yeah. not the same. You talk a lot about surfing. Yep. I surfed a little bit in high school, not much. <laughs> My friends who are watching this would laugh and say, really? Yeah. That was called surfing? I thought that was floating <laughs> or, or falling. Yeah. What? First of all, why do you love surfing? I mean, it's an obvious question, yeah. I think, but surfing, I think, is so analogous to a lot of yeah. things in life. And I know you and I have talked about this before. How? Tell us about your love for surfing. Where did that start? And what, really, what does that teach you? What does that do for you? 
Well, it started with, you know, when we moved to America, because one of the first things, you know, we wanted to do is become Southern California like kids, right? So yeah. one of the things was either play volleyball or surf, or surf right? Yeah. yeah. So surfing was, but trust me, it's probably one of the hardest sport to ever, you know, get good at. I don't think I'm that good at it. I, <laughs> I enjoy it. I'm at best, uh, you know, an average surfer. But luckily for me, you know, I, I happen to surf near where I live. Yeah. And I have a, it's like yoga. So it's that moment where, you know, because I spend so much time dealing with people. When you're surfing, it's like the zen. It's you and the wave. Yes, there are friends out there. But for the most part, it's just you're sitting there like floating, yeah, right? You're absolutely in the present. Yeah, you're, you're there relaxing. And it's very, you know, so it's kind of more like zen as opposed to the hustle and bustle that I have to yeah. do every day. How frequently do you surf? Uh, when there's waves every day, so <laughs> I about two to three times a week on average. Yeah. yeah. Tell us about some of the relationships that you've built. I know a few people that yeah. you've met out there in the water, Don Ayers, <laughs> for example, Ayers Hotels and others. Yeah. Uh, relationships that you've developed in that atmosphere. I, I just laugh about how many guys, but the key though is, is almost every brand that's, you know, makes anything for action sports, they tend to surf, hmm. right? So I would say, Patso, our, you know, one of our soon-to-be suppliers, he's a surfer. Uh, I would say, you know, the snowboarding community, the monster guys. It, we have these, I call it moments where either we surf, we snowboard, or we golf. Hmm. And that seems to be the three, because they're individual sports, so you're kind of on your own. Fall off a wave, it's on you. Nobody yeah. pushed you away. you whatever, hit a bad right? shot, no one else cares except you. Exactly. Yeah. So, but the, the people, though, I mean, I go through the celebrities, because a lot of musicians surf. The guys from Green Day surf. Nice. Uh, you can go through all the lists, and a lot of guys snowboard. So you have this kind of, like, place where you hang out, whether it's, it, again, it's on the golf course or here or there, but it's just fun. So surfing has this place for all of us. And the list, I mean, I just go on and on about yeah. how many amazing. But the one guy, one of the few uh, baseball players that we know that surfed after he retired from mm -hmm. baseball, Tim Salmon lives down at the oh, beach. Okay. Yeah. yeah, He has a beach house in, in the summertime, and uh, it's amazing. So he's out there surfing with us. We, we hackle each other to death. Nice. Because here you see a guy that has a World Series ring. Exactly. <laughs> but in yeah. the water, he's just another he's guy. He's just another guy out there, average <laughs> surfer, trying to do it, just trying yeah. to catch that wave oh, just yeah. like you are. You don't strike me as the type of person that is just in awe of these people that you meet. I, I know you well enough to know yeah. that you're pretty, pretty present and level-headed. Yeah. Has there been in your industry, you've talked about Green mm -hmm. Day and Tim Salmon and yeah. so forth. Have there been those where you've just almost been tongue-tied when you meet somebody? No, I wouldn't say so much tongue-tied, but just in like I've always wanted to. So for me. Out of all the bucket list people that everybody's yeah. got their list, it wasn't so much like in awe, but it was like finally, right? So hmm. Pele, because I actually grew up watching him yeah. as a kid. So he was the guest of honor when they opened the Home Depot, which is now the StubHub Center. Okay. So right, I got right. to meet him. And yeah. long story short, my cousin is his attorney, which is <laughs> wow. hilarious. That's right? awesome. So that was one. The other one was Emerson Fittipaldi, which is the Formula One race driver from Brazil, right. who now lives in Florida. I got to meet him a couple of times around the world at a L'Oreal's World Sports event. And more recently, one of my other friends' company designs the Fittipaldi wheels. So I got an opportunity to meet him here. And to be able to sit there and in Portuguese rap with this guy, That's really it's just neat. like, so it's not just, hey, let me get a picture. It's actually having something to talk about. Yeah. So most of my friends that are car enthusiasts were I, you were talking to Emerson Fittipaldi. You know who that was? Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, I'm, and yeah, I goes, yes, because I grew up watching him. Yeah in the early 70s, win World Formula One championships. Yeah. But more than that, 
is like the two that I always grew up to, I already checked them off. It's for my friends that wanted to meet somebody. And I joke about one of the amazing moments when my wife, Kelly, wanted to meet Perry Farrell from uh, Jane's Addiction. At one of the surf rider events, they did a little, I, I call it jam session with a bunch of celebrity artists from different bands. Mm-hmm. They got together, and I forget the name of the, the band that they called themselves, but they were basically doing cover songs, whatnot. And for one song, an entire song, Perry Farrell is a foot in front of us on a stage that's only two feet high, holding my wife's hand while he's singing. That's pretty cool. So to me, it's like, Opportunities okay. right there. Yeah. So yeah. Th- that's, to me, more exciting where people say, I've always wanted to meet this person. Creating memories for other people. Yeah. Th- it's because I, yeah. I checked my box a long time ago. Yeah. And out of randomness, how would I know that a friend of mine would end up making wheels for Emerson Fittipaldi? Exactly. That's, so these are the things that are like random. But there's, again, a higher being up there that wants to make sure right. that not only do I get to do it, but I get to have my friends do it. So it can sound like you've had just this great life and everything's been so wonderful. And it is great family, Mm -hmm. great friends, great parents. You've created this life. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about maybe some challenges Uh. that you've overcome that maybe (laughs) might somebody watching today might go, wow, you know, I'm dealing with that same thing or I dealt with that challenge as well. Maybe as an immigrant coming to the States or something that I've never experienced, for example. Any challenges that you come know, to mind? If you think about early days, right? You know, we talked about from high school to college and in, in the first part of the workforce is they call that glass ceiling. Yeah, It's there because guess what? No matter where you are around the world, you may be the majority and you'll never see it, but you might be at the minority. So you could be a white guy in China right now going, oh my God, I have no opportunity. a couple of billion people, yeah. but why are they not letting me do it? Well, you're not Chinese, right? And then you could be here and go, well, I'm sorry, but you're not white or you're not black. You're not Hispanic. So there is that. So the more you can get through that, right, it's better for everybody. But I felt it early on. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I can't do this because I'm, quote, unquote, Asian, right? I got a degree. I got everything else. But you kind of feel it and say, okay, you know what? Let me maybe make it easier for the next group that sure. comes through. I will battle. I don't mind taking the bullets, but let me make it you know, better and easier for the next guy if you got the talent. So you have the imag- imaginary, but they're there. You know, sure. it is culturally what it is. I mean, you know, and it's funny because in Europe, they may be all white, but they don't like each other. Yeah, they're different in countries Asian, and they don't know. Right? Yeah. They're all Asian, but they don't like each other either. Yeah. In Africa, they're all black, but they don't like each other either. So you have to, that, right? Yeah, in Central America, they're all Hispanic. They don't like each other either. Yeah. And I'm looking at it, I go, are you guys crazy? <laughs> but it's yeah. easy for somebody that grew up around the world, and you see it from this level, and you're like, we know we kind of look alike, yeah, but exactly. we are not from the same country, so therefore we don't like each other. Yeah. So there's that. So you kind of have to learn you know, to grow a little thicker skin, and it's not you. It's the culture. Right. So don't take it personally. It is what it is, right? So make the best of it. So it's the old flee or fight. I choose to fight. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to stand up. I'm going to do what I can to try to change it. And when people see that I can do this, they're like, oh, maybe we should think twice. Set that example for them a little bit. So, and you see a lot in baseball, a lot of that, because early on, guys were like, no, you can't do this. You can't do that. I mean, I, I, and when I look at the stats, how many people, you know, quarterbacks, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> Just because the guy is the wrong color, he can't play that position? Yeah, That's exactly. insanity, right? You see but, it, yeah. But this is, again, stereotypes, it's culture, it's all that. So that's, to me, it's like, I wish we could, you know, learn to literally not get along, but 
understand and appreciate the differences. Because yeah. at the end, the inside, we're all the same. Just on the outside, we may be a little maybe darker. a little bit different. More hair, less hair, a <laughs> little bit different skin color. And I see it in family business yeah. too. You see that glass ceiling you talked about. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the right last name, you you've, you're going to hit a certain level, and then you can't go above because you're not family. Exactly. How do you treat that in your family business? Obviously, there's the three brothers. Tell me a little bit about, you know, opportunities within the family business, whether they're a lamb or not. Yeah, we don't care. That's because what we learned from being one of the few Asian families in Orange County in the early 70s. So we've been there, done right. that. We know what a glass feeling feels like, so yeah. we don't want to create that for anybody. So we really don't care as long as you can do the job. Most Let, qualified yeah, person gets yeah. the job. Get the job done. Yeah. So I, I am curious, Wing. I, I, everybody just calls it Wahoo's Fish Tacos because we think we're, well, first of all, we're going to have multiple tacos yes, when we're yes, together. I never, have, I never have one. Yeah. But why Wahoo's Fish Taco, singular? Because the idea was to make the tacos, the fish tacos from Wahoo itself. So it was like, you know, it's the proper spelling if you're going to say, you know, chicken taco, you okay. know, as opposed to chicken tacos, because that's the idea. And the yeah. name Wahoo? The name Wahoo, my brother was in Hawaii, Mingo, and he was joking about, we were literally looking at Dorados, Mahi Mahi, uh, you know, Rooster. I mean, think of anything, you know, all the names that we can think of, Halibut, whatever. Nothing sounded right. And then my brother said, well, what about calling it Ono? Which okay. is, right? In Hawaii, yeah. everything is Ono-licious. Yeah, everything is good. delicious. It's Ono. Ono-pupus. Ono-pupus. The yeah. best is always Ono. Right. And they said, that'd be great. But what if the mainlanders mispronounce it and call it Ono? Oh, no. Tacos. <laughs> yeah. So then <laughs> like my brother said, hey, you yeah. know, by the way, it's otherwise known as Wahoo. And I'm like, that's a great name. I like it. Wahoo's Fish Taco. Because I never heard of it until we literally about... Two months before we we're going to open Wahoo's, we never—I had never heard the name Wahoo before. Wow. I always heard it as Ono, and it just clicked. It just clicked. Awesome! It's kind of like the uh, the Chevy Nova. Yeah, the yeah. Nova was great in America, but when they tried to sell a car that said Nova in Ex South America, it means it doesn't go. They exactly. had to change the name yeah. of that car real fast. Really quite. See, yeah. same thing. Just the accent. Yeah, how yeah. it can be said. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Now Nova. I know. See, now now I will never say Wahoo's Fish Tacos again. <laughs> Unless, you're gonna go Unless I'm having multiple. Exactly. Yeah. Then you can say it. <laughs> well, probably what I'm going to do for lunch now that I think about it. Yeah. I ask this question of a lot of my guests. Um, as we talked about earlier, you, you, you get asked to, yeah. to volunteer or to give or to donate mm -hmm. in a lot of different places. When I ask you the, the question, what breaks your heart? What comes to mind? Oh, when you see the little kids, you know, that to me is just like, it, it, whatever it is that they're going through, you just kind of want to say, okay, what can we do so that they don't have to go through it, right? Yeah. And and for me, one of my closest friends, uh, Paul, whose daughter is about the same age as my oldest son, she wasn't supposed to live until she was in her teens, her 20s, now she's in her 30s, and she's pregnant. Wow. And to have a CF person live this long, and That's not awesome. only live this long, but the quality of life, and the fact that they just had some recent breakthroughs and they got some great new solutions, it's amazing. Yeah. Because now if I can see her get through you know, her 40s and 50s, it would be amazing. So that's what you want. It's not just the longevity, but the quality. Right. So when you can make a difference like that, whether it's a shelter, a disease or anything like that, it just makes you feel good that what you're doing is the right thing to do. Yeah. Talk about Kelly, your wife. I know that she's 
very focused on the health and wellness yep. industry. My daughter yep. has connected with her yep. as well through through her yeah. organization. Can you tell us a little bit about what she's doing and how do the brands kind of mesh together with what you do and what she does? Well, because Kelly's always, you know, she was in the real estate industry when we first started, you know, dating. And then she felt like something was missing. And she was always like, it, it just wasn't, I call it fun, right? Mm-hmm. And she always enjoyed, you know, her moment of peace was taking yoga. So when an opportunity came at a charity event, an MDA event, where they auction off the most random thing ever that I've seen was a teacher training for yoga. And I'm like, who auctions that off at a charity? And I said, honey, you've always wanted to do this. You should get it. And my mom goes, you're crazy, but okay. So that was the beginning of it. And then when she became certified a yoga instructor, Mm -hmm. she goes, wow, this is different, right? but you can't make a whole bunch of money. Let's just get that out there mm-hmm. in teaching. So then she thought, okay, you know, it's more of a passion, right. right? Then she thought, okay, maybe I can teach other people. So she got into corporate. So she did a little bit more of that. Right. And then from corporate, she started getting a lot of people because, well, we can't hire you, but it'd be fun to have a day where we can talk about it. So she started creating these wellness days and conferences for specifically for women at first. Now she does co-ed. And then it became about movement eating, mental. So it became about the different parts of, you know, call it bringing balance to your life. So along the way, we had amazing companies, Lifeway Kiefer, Mm -hmm. all these brands that are in the wellness space now that are like, how can we help you? You know, so you got Cliff Bar. I mean, these are national global brands all helping her because what she's doing is basically enlighten people to say, hey, here's what you're doing. Maybe if you did it this way. Right. It's still not saying you can't eat sweets, you can't have a glass of wine, but just balancing it all. Yeah, balancing all things. And that's what at the end of the day, it's just finding that center. And that's what she's doing. And she's been having fun doing it. Awesome. And when you're having fun doing it, it doesn't feel like work, as you said, right? (laughs) So name of the podcast, From the Heart. So if I were to ask you to wrap up here today and just tell me right now, just whether it's something we've talked about or something that maybe is next for you today or on the horizon, what's in your heart right now? Just the fact that, you know, I can't wait to see my little kid. And that's, you know, right here. That's what makes it all worthwhile. That's awesome. Well, you're a great man, great family man, great businessman. It's always a pleasure to see you in the community. It's an honor for me to call you friend. And uh, we have to get back out and tee it up on the golf course again. One of these, I don't surf that much anymore. So I don't know how you equated surfing and golf to feeling peace. Cause I know, I know my emotion when I'm on the golf course and it's not like it was when I used to surf. So, but Wing, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you being with us today from the heart. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you.